The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year and happy Friday. I'm Becky Strum, Managing Editor at Mansion Global, and I'm joined today by my colleagues, Leslie Hendrickson and Liz Lucking, both reporters at Mansion Global. Welcome, Leslie and Liz. Thank you, Ms. Becky. <laughs> uh, so we recently published, as we do every year, our look ahead, um, and this has been a very interesting year. We cover uh, both the uh, meaty sales and prices, expectations in major financial markets, as well as um, the design, development, and amenity trends for the year ahead, uh, Liz and Leslie. Uh, handled those uh, meteor portions about market outlooks. And um, so we'll jump right in. A reminder to ask questions um, uh, and we'll try and get to them throughout or save them for the end. Uh, so Liz, why don't you get us started? Uh, what was the big theme that you saw across housing markets in 2023? Yeah, so I think one big thing that is going to be on the horizon this year is this increased cost of living that we're seeing is going to really hit transactions. So we can expect sales pretty much across the board, whether it's in Sydney, whether it's in London, whether it's New York, um, those levels are going to come down. Of course, they're coming down from what has been a pretty standout couple of years. Um, so whether that's you know a correction, whether that's something else, who knows. But the increased cost of living as well spans such a whole range of things we've got inflation we've got interest rates we've got the general like huge surging cost of properties that's happened over the last couple of years right. there's different elements to affect you know a lot of different people here and so, we're not talking like uh declining transactions on like a total collapse scale we're not talking 2008 for example is no i don't think that's expected to be in the cards the last few years you know, were abnormal in a lot of ways. And I think the general except the general expectation, I should say, is that this is going to be more of a return to reality than a total crash. That at least seems to be what the economists and the experts are saying. Right, right. Um, so then, Leslie, uh, if we're trying to look on the bright side of things here, <laughs> are we expecting inventory to rise? Are we expecting pr like prices to come down? Are we expecting major price cuts, for example? What do you think? Well, inventory was basically obliterated in a lot of spots during the pandemic. Um, so much housing traded. So we're still at record low inventory across the country and in many spots in the world. So inventory may come up, but the, the returns, the new listings have not returned like people said they would in early 2022. So and additionally, with interest rates gone, ha having gone up so much, sellers don't necessarily want to put their homes on the markets because they can't get a low interest rate, which they might have now, and they might not be able to get the price they want. So I don't think we're going to see a ton more inventory coming on the market in 2023. And on the flip side, though, some 
luxury homes have been seeing pretty significant price cuts from, you know, this really high price point that we reached in 2022 at the beginning of last year. And now, you know, that aspirational pricing just won't cut it. And we have seen some pretty significant cuts on that level. I think one element of inventory that we recently wrote about was new development. I think a lot of uh, home builders um, took a cue during the pandemic and really uh, ramped up development. And so we've seen that um, there have been a number of reports in, in recent months that the proportion of homes on the market that are new build as opposed to re, uh, to you know existing inventory has really surged, especially in the Sun Belt, where um, where there's been a lot of development over the past three to five years, and and these migration hotspots include the Gulf Coast of Florida, Austin, a lot of the Rocky Mountain towns that saw a lot of migration during the pandemic. There's there is a, a strangely large proportion of new development on the market of the sparse listings that are there. Um, so and, and no development developers are not. Uh, inclined to cut prices the way existing homeowners are, but they will provide sweeteners. And that's something that we've seen too in those areas. So maybe not price cuts, but things like clothing costs and and um, customizations that are covered for a home that maybe isn't quite complete or et cetera, et cetera. Um, so uh, to both of you, um, you know, do interest rates increase cost of living? Do these things really affect the high end at all? So we've been sort of talking broadly, but when we talk about the high end, are, are interest rates of concern to million dollar home buyers, luxury home buyers, Liz? Yeah, I think the kind of the rule of thumb is that these people may be more protected by these things than than you or me or the kind of typical person, but they are not immune to these things. You know, interest rate, they're, I think half of high net worth buyers, I think that's the statistic, are still taking out mortgages. You know, they are looking at these numbers. They're also like looking at the wider patterns, you know, the economy, how their investments might perform. All of these things are affecting them as well. I'd say the stock market volatility is also a huge factor. A lot of high net worth individuals obviously have a lot of their wealth in stocks and the markets that, you know, they've lost a lot of their value over the last year that could continue. We don't know. Um, and so that uncertainty, I think, is really affects a lot of buyers. Right. Mortgage rates sort of, or not mortgage rates, but interest rates rather sort of indirectly mm -hmm. affecting very, very wealthy people by affecting the stock market, which then affects their bottom line. So um, yes, I think uncertainty has definitely been a theme always for us uh, mm -hmm. as we report that uncertainty is uh, not great. Uh, so also the, you know, Congress or the house mm -hmm. could also get it together. Right, It just <laughs> undermines confidence, you know, across the market. And right. people don't want to do, don't necessarily want to do big deals at that point. Others right. may be looking for opportunities. That's the flip side. But right. a lot of people just, you know, want to be cautious. Um, so there's clearly a downturn on the way. But are there exceptions among the markets that you guys cover? Liz, why don't you start us off? Yeah. So one big exception is uh, Dubai. Mm -hmm. Um huge exception. People are drawn to Dubai, it seems, for a number of reasons. Um, it's relative affordability compared to some of the other major global cities. Um, the market stability, 
you know, talking about high net worth buyers and whether they're affected by things like this, they they want a stable investment. Um, and also the quality of living in Dubai as well. Uh, it had a record break in 2022 and it's going to continue that momentum into this year. Um, transactions are set to keep going up. And according to a recent forecast from Knight Frank, its high-end home market is set to lead the world in property price growth uh, this year. They're expected to go up 13.5%, which is a pretty significant number, I think, across the general markets they look at for this forecast. The, the overall uptick on the cards was 2%. So 13.5 compared to that is a big jump. Right, right. And that's, you know, a lot of that's driven by by an exodus from Ukraine and, and Russia of high net worth innovations, right? Yeah, big time. I think a lot of Russian Russian buyers are putting their money into Dubai right now. And that's driving a lot of it. Great, great. And and Leslie, have you seen any any major exceptions? Uh, in the U.S., I think Miami will be an exception and really the whole South Florida region. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, of course, during the pandemic, the work from home edict allowed a lot of people to go wherever they had wanted to. And that lifestyle in South Florida really attracts a lot of people. The low tax environment, you know, they don't have state income tax. Um, And the inventory there was completely obliterated. Just to, you know, say that um, phrase again, they really don't have many homes to sell. And areas like Palm Beach, which were so exclusive to begin with. Yeah. I wouldn't say they're immune to a downturn, but they're certainly insulated. Yeah. And I predict that they're going to, that whole area will see heavy sales during the rest of the year. Yeah. It's so interesting because we went into the pandemic and there was quite a glut of condo in the Miami area and that's gone. <laughs> so very interesting. Fortunes have turned there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, speaking of Miami, actually, Liz, um, we have all sorts of uh, branded residences. It's a, it's a big theme from the Miami skyline, Aston Martin, Porsche, Waldorf Astoria. Um, you know, are they really having a moment? Are people drawn to these? People are super drawn to these. And I consider Miami very much to be sort of the capital of the branded residence. There are so many, like you just mentioned. Um, but they're not just in Miami. They're they're everywhere at the moment and they're going beyond the obvious. Um, we kind of expect to see the hotel collaborations. You know, you think of luxury living, you think of Waldorf Astorias and things like that. But you mentioned the cars. There's also there's fashion collaborations, there's food collaborations and even museum collaborations. Wow. So these are really covering a whole variety of brands at the moment. And the kind of the appeal is in a couple of things. One is people want turnkey. People want to turn up, have their place ready for them, and they want the familiarity of a brand they can trust. There's such a feeling of security in that investment. You know, if you're if you drive an Aston Martin, if you, you know, if the brand appeals to you, if you're a loyalist to the brand, you know, there's a there's a comfort in that. Right, right. Many of the apartments come with a car as well. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And there's going to be more as well. There's already a lot. um, But the real estate firm Savills, they expect there to be more than, I think, 1,100 branded developments across the world by 2027, which is almost double what there is right now. So there is a demand and there's expected to be an ongoing demand. 
That's really great. Yeah. Um, sort of jumping off that it, it, in our in our amenities, uh, you know, outlook from this series, um, uh, branded residences played a big role. And part of that is because people um, really want to feel right now, when I say people, I guess I'm high net worth individuals really want to feel like they're part of a members club, the whole, ex uh, uh, you know, the premium for experience, I feel like, you know, became very important to people during the pandemic. Um, and so things that we're seeing uh, is sort of a, a departure from the pandemic in a way is not only this feeling of a members club, but really having places to congregate, um, gathering places for family and also for, uh, you know, friends and to meet and people within the, the development. Um, and also, you know, to have space for all those people that weren't, uh, you weren't coming in contact with in the early days of the pandemic, the hairdressers, the, massa the massage therapists, the sommeliers, the private chefs, wanting spaces where you can bring those people in and have all those services at the tip of your fingers again. I think that's something that um, we're seeing come back a lot. And in uh, that sort of crystallize in the um, in the trend toward having sort of um, directors of, of programming at these developments. So having someone that's organizing the group yoga classes and then also having, you know, really top concierge services where people can call upon them, even if they're not even at the unit in Miami or Dubai or wherever it is, and ask for um, a service or something uh, to help them with. Um, and then, you know, in a similar vein, these common spaces are really coming coming back to life. Um, so, Leslie, have you seen any amenity trends in your reporting? Um, well, there's always, always smart technology, of course, yeah. um, and that changes so quickly that I probably can't update anyone on anything because, you know, the whole systems probably were updated last night. But one thing that is a trend is people do not want an iPad in every room. You know, they don't want a jumble of cords coming out where they can see all of the mechanics of, of their smart home technology. They just want an on and off button or a light touch or something they can control with their phones. And you know there are going to be all these updates ongoing, and they don't want to know about it. Just they just want it to work and right. not have a headache over it. So that's one thing. I think wellness remains a huge trend in amenities. Um, you were mentioning, you know, the, the salons, the masseuses, the all the the spaces for those um, for those services are amenities that people are looking for, but also, um, you know, having those services or having machinery in their houses where they can get infrared light treatments or, of course, saunas and spas. And, you know, they can bring their people in, but it's all there at their homes. Yeah. And I think sustainability remains a trend. And I hope that we're going to see more of that in coming years. Um, but people are looking toward solar power, toward radiant floor heating toward different ways uh, to more sustainably heat their homes, cool their homes and power their homes. Right. Yeah. And certainly we've seen an increase, you know, in the data of homes that are marketed with um, with uh, EV charging sta uh, stations, mm -hmm. for example, in the garage. Mm -hmm. and 
geothermal, things like this. It's definitely, I think, even if it's not top of mind for buyers, there's definitely a pressure on high net worth individuals to care about this. And so it's mm -hmm. becoming, you know, uh, for developers to, to it's, it's something that they have to include. Um, and there are even, you know, there are tax incentives, right, Leslie, you've written about those. In the U.S., for sure, um, the federal government extended credits for solar panels and other um, e e green technologies. Um, you can get up to 30% on those as a rebate from your income taxes. States also have their own programs and some energy companies also have rebate programs for right. sustainability additions or updates. Right. Yeah. And those have been extended. The rebates, the the federal rebates, those are extended till 2032 for 10 years or so. Yeah. It was a big extension. They have done several extensions of this rebate over the last six or seven years, but this is the longest extension that we've had and it's a good 10 years. You're right. Yeah. Um, and then there's, of course, you know, oh, so um, to, to sort of switch that um some other design trends that we're seeing um which are not amenities but um you know other things that people are asking for um related to sustainability include sort of vintage reused furniture this idea that um this movement especially at the higher end away from fast furniture and seeking out things that are sort of one-offs or special um or have a story to them um and part of that has been a return to sort of like 1970s design as people find sort of retro things and also softer curved lines. Um, it's interesting that we when we, you know, were writing about design, maybe seven, six, seven years ago, it was all mid-century modern. It was all stark, very clean, uh, very sort of barren interior, super white, gray, marble, et cetera. And now it's really uh, uh, changing. And part, part of this, I think, is people just spending time at home and, and wanting it to reflect their inner selves a little bit more. Um, Liz, have you seen any design trends recently? I know you do some YouTube videos with me about this. They certainly do. And I would say a big thing this year, and it's not, I wouldn't say it's a new trend. I would say we're going to see a real continuation um, but maximalism, which is a personal favorite of mine, is set to be kind of a big one this year. And it's exactly what you said. You know, it's a turn away from those kind of clean lines, the kind of neutral, soft palettes. And it's personal. It's individual. It's people really putting the things they love all together. And maybe they don't, you know, maybe they're not all the same color. Maybe they're not all the same texture or material. It doesn't matter. Um, it's very much more is more. It's patterned wallpapers. It's bold colors. Um, like I said, a hodgepodge materials of furniture pieces. And it's kind of free reign to do all the things we've always been told not to do, which is fun. And I think that's important. I think people can enjoy it. I think people can, you know, really express themselves. Um, and we're seeing it in living areas very much already. I think what might be new this year is seeing it in different areas of the home. I think kitchens, for example, are getting bolder than ever. And I think that might be somewhere where we start to see a bit more of kind of fun and a bit more bright and bold and kind of, you know. A move away from the white subway tile, which is great, yeah. and, the, and the white marble. Not that I don't love white subway tiles, but right. I do think 
Liz is right in the sense that kitchens could be sort of the next frontier and we're seeing some new neutrals, right? Yeah. Like a dark blue or a dusty blue is a neutral. Yes, exactly. Uh, Liz's background <laughs> point is, is a neutral for a kitchen as opposed to just, you know, white or cream or beige. And I think also, you know, some kitchens are going back to textures, you know, wood cabinetry, as opposed to that slick white, no touch kind of look where which doesn't have necessarily the same uh, comfort fe comforting feel that some people are looking for and yeah. i think one other thing we are going to start seeing more often and maybe you know not just interior designer designed homes but people doing it themselves is um bright ceilings whether they're painted mm -hmm. whether they're wallpapered even or textured or something i think leslie you sort of mentioned the next frontier i can see ceilings being another kind of another canvas for people to express themselves right i hope we don't go back to popcorn ceilings but oh no <laughs> um it's interesting because i feel like a lot of uh the interior design trends of the past couple of years have also been really influenced by supply chain issues and that's part of the drawback to vintage and reused furniture because sometimes that's really like if you're looking for something quality you're gonna have to go on first dibs or something like that as opposed to um uh, like ordering you know it will take just as long for you to get that custom artisanal piece built Mm -hmm. as it would to wait for, you know, without throwing any company out of, under the bus, <laughs> waiting for that dresser to be delivered. Um, so uh, for both of you guys, um, we talk about booming sales and prices reversing in 2023. Are there other pandemic trends that we're really going to see reverse in, uh, in 2023? Yeah, there's um, there's a few things, actually. Um, I would say that one thing that I've seen very recently is the idea that concessions are back. You know, this isn't the same market that we were dealing with two years ago, a year ago even, that, you know, where buyers had all the, sorry, where sellers had all the power. Yeah. Um, buyers were competing. They were offering higher bids. They were, you know, waiving inspections and things like that. That's you know, I think we're going to see that go this year. That's going to be a pandemic thing that is kind of left behind as we get back to this norma normal scene. Mm -hmm. um, so sellers are offering, whether it be um, like credits to fix a roof or embark on repairs, or maybe they're going to be covering the cost of your appliance warranties, things like that. Sellers are actually going to have to start doing a bit more work to woo the buyers that they've not had to do in the last couple of years. Right. Um, what one thing that the pandemic brought about was, uh, you know, so for the last before the pandemic, the last few years had been these large open concept mm. layouts in apartments, a lot of them with stark white, and a lot of sunlight coming in, but still, you know, um, a lot of open space. And during the pandemic, during the work from home months and years, people needed to close the doors so they could do their zoom meetings so that they could, you know, have some privacy. And I don't think that we're going to go back to a truly traditional layout where everything is separated, but we need, these layouts need dividers. So French doors, screens, different ways to block off space if they need to and open space if they're entertaining or want to have that, that big open space. Yeah, 
Another, uh, something else that, uh, has changed a lot, obviously, is that during the pandemic, we saw, you know, borders closing and, and a lot of international buyers were cut off from the markets where they would have maybe been interested. And I think that that is going to be a big, it has already been a trend uh, in 2022, specifically in places like London, um, in uh, Portugal, Spain, um, where we've seen this huge uh, boom in the U.S. buyer, particularly off of currency, um, the, using the, that exchange rate advantage to buy homes from Tuscany to um, to Paris and, and in London, uh, especially in the super prime market. Um, and I think it's something, it's a trend for seeing more international buyers moving around in 2023, especially with China opening up to some extent, um, Australia will get the benefit of that, for example. So I think international buying will be a big thing to look for to sort of uh, help boost um, at the luxury end, at least, uh, sales. Um, we have some uh, questions from uh, the audience. Um, we touched on this uh, here and there, but the South Florida luxury market for 2023, uh, what do we uh, what do we think? <laughs> what's what's going to happen in the next year for South Florida? I see largely more of the same. I'm, it still remains, remains very popular. Mm -hmm. People want to be in South Florida, again, for the lifestyle, for the lower cost of living. Miami's become a beautiful, I mean, it's always a beautiful city, but it's also has so many more amenities than it did 20 years ago in terms of museums mm -hmm. uh, and amenities like that. So I think it's going to continue to do well. Additionally, a lot of businesses have moved to the South Florida area over the last three years. And even that trend was going on before the pandemic. So big companies, hedge funds, they're living there or they've moved there and they're bringing their employees with them. So mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a strong market going through the rest of the year. And the second half of the year is poised to get stronger across the board. So that'll probably happen in Miami as well. Yeah, I also wouldn't be surprised if we saw some of the demand kind of spread out from the hotspots that are Miami, that are Palm Beach, as prices are set to keep going up, you know, there isn't going to be the supply. So I wouldn't be shocked if we started seeing, you know, the ripple effect and the surrounding areas also benefit from you know, the, the success of, of those mm -hmm. cities. Right. Um, there's another question here, which I'll answer because I feel like there's a, a, some stories top of mind that relate to it. Um, so Greg is asking, how do purchases of luxury real estate typically identify good lenders? Are they referred by realtors, builders, or their agents? I would say there's like a, a, a many different answers to this question. I would say that oftentimes luxury uh, purchasers have a relationship with a, a bank, um, a, a private bank uh, for all ultra high net worth individuals. So they will turn to their established banking relationships to find a loan that is usually much, much lower than the average jumbo loan rate that you would find. Um, alternatively, uh, luxury real estate agents are pretty well versed in where to go and also alternatives to a standard loan. Um, there are even some sellers who, if they're eager to sell, are willing to be the lender in the situation, which 
um, usually results in a lower rate, but also less capital gains tax for the seller themselves. So there's some incentive there. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, another way to go about it, I think that there's also uh, some interfamily loans, which is a much, much lower rate as well. Um, it's set by the IRS. The last time I checked, it was three point something. So we're talking like half of what current uh, interest rates are if we're talking about conventional loans. So, um, so there are a number of avenues, but I would say typically we see high end uh, real, uh, you know, real estate transactions. If they're not cash, then they will go through their private banking relationships. Um, and let's see. Uh, so, oh, we're almost out of time here. I think we can probably get to one more. Um, so we had some really wild trophy home sales in 2022. Uh, and I'm wondering if that rarefied market is going to go poof this year. Leslie, could you walk us through some of the really like the headlines of 2022? I mean, yeah, there were uh, some really huge sales. The biggest sale in the U.S. Uh, was Larry Ellison buying a Florida estate, 16 acres, I think, in uh, South Florida for, I believe, $173 million. Um, and, you know, that property had sold, uh, I think, a year before for much less and so, you know, Ellison was willing to pay a huge markup for this property. And I think we will see some of that for blue chip properties. There's always a demand for the finest properties in the world. And high net worth buyers are always interested in having those trophy properties. However, as we discussed before, we are starting to see price cuts. The prices that people were getting in 2021 and early 22 are just not, I don't think they're going to happen as much. And we are seeing significant price cuts and these estates on the market for much longer than they were, um, you know, days on market went way down during the pandemic and now is inching back up because. Yeah, yeah I would definitely agree with that. I would agree with that. I bet that, you know, the, the highest echelons are always a little disjointed from the economic situation. So those, uh, trophy property sales are likely to continue where we might see softness is sort of in that lower, like the $30 million range, mm -hmm. or maybe like this, the like 30 to $50 million range where there's maybe a little bit more hesitation mm -hmm. around making such a large purchase. Um, Anyways, uh, I, that's really it for today. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me. Um, and thank you to our audience for tuning in. <laughs> Um, so to everyone, please join us again on Monday when Market Watch investing columnist and longtime journalist uh, David Enna will discuss I bonds and the strategies to make most the most of your investment. Thank you for listening. Be well and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.